You know, the first thing that everybody needs to do when they get into beekeeping is really figure out how they're going to get educated on bees. Hi, David. I'm a gardener and I need bees. I want to start beekeeping, but I have so many questions. Can you answer some questions that I have? The more you know about bees, the more fun you're going to have with them. And I think taking a beekeeping class is just paramount. I mean, it's just like you have to do it. Now, you can get classes. You can find classes online. You can find maybe a bee club that are giving classes out. We have online courses that are available. But the more you're able to understand the biology of bees and all the different components of the hives, you're just going to have a lot more fun with it. I think sometimes people get into beekeeping and they think it's not going to be very expensive and they sometimes try to go into it the cheapest way possible. But in reality, it is going to cost several hundred dollars to get started because you have to buy the bees, you have to buy your hive equipment, you have to buy your protective gear, your smoker and hive tool. You're probably looking between three to five hundred dollars to get into beekeeping. Used equipment does have its place in beekeeping. The thing that we worry about the most though is that a lot of times uh, we're concerned about pathogens that could be in the comb. Now it may not be on your bottom board or your boxes or top covers, but where the bees have raised their brood, there's a chance that lingering brood diseases, spores of brood diseases, could actually be in that comb. So if you get grandpa's old equipment and he had something like American fowl brood or European fowl brood, those spores have been known to live 50 or more years in that comb in storage. And then it's activated again when you put your bees in there. So if you're going to go to all this trouble to start, it's just better to start with a fresh new start, new equipment. I started beekeeping from a tree that had bees in it. But then the next year I wanted to expand and get more bees. So I called a beekeeping company. There weren't that many available companies back in the early 1990s when I started. So when I called the company in April, you know what they said to me? They were like, "Hun, you're way too late. We're, we've sold all our packages. So you need to start early in the year. You gotta be able to call, order your bees, order your equipment in the winter before spring comes and that way you've got everything secured. Now you're not gonna get your bees until spring, but you can always get your equipment early, make sure you're familiar with it. You may have to build some parts if you buy unassembled equipment, you may wanna paint it, but just start early uh, ahead of spring. I read a book once by a farmer and he said everything he ever wanted to do was illegal. <laughs> and I think sometimes we, we realize like, why would bees be illegal? They're insects. Why is it illegal to have bees? And it's really not, but some municipalities have rules against bees because they just don't want a singing insect in somebody's backyard in a crowded environment. However, there are a lot of places like in cities where people have bees on balconies, on rooftops. You just have to kind of get acquainted with your local uh, town or city, find out from the mayor or the city clerk, what are the rules to having like chickens and and, and bees and see if there are any rules for it or against it. But if, look, if you live in the country though, or you know, away from people, usually there's no laws and it's gonna be legal for you to keep bees there.
a lot of times this boils down to the budget. How much can you afford in beekeeping? And so, of course, if you buy two hives, you're going to have to buy two packages of bees to go with those two hives. A lot of people think they can divide a package, but it's a package for every hive that you have. So if you start with two, it's usually going to cost you twice as much. But if the budget allows it, that really is the way to go because having two hives allows you to compare the two. It allows you to transfer resources between the two hives if one starts failing. And like, for example, if one of your hives loses her queen and they don't replace her like they're supposed to, you can move eggs over from the strong hive and give it to the weak hive and let them raise a queen from those eggs. So it gives you a lot more flexibility if you have two hives. Oh, wow, there are so many types of hives now. When I first started uh, almost 30 years ago, there weren't that many hives available. There were a few, but mostly 99% Langstroth, the traditional white box hives that you see. But here recently in the last, I'd say 10 years, we've seen a surge in so many different kind of hives. We have uh, like the flow hive is a very common hive that people wonder if they should start with the flow hive. But keep in mind that the hive doesn't really make all of that much difference. You still have to learn how to manage your bees. And I like to tell people to start with a Langstroth hive. To me, it's a simple starting point. It's kind of like a bicycle on training wheels. <laughs> you know, you're not going to uh, have to learn a hive if you start with a Langstroth. Some of the other newer hives, they have a little uh, different parts and pieces. And some of those parts are proprietary. So there's a, a little stiffer learning curve sometimes on different hives. But if you start with a Langstroth, it's cool because you can get familiar with it. You can get, you can spend that time learning about your bees and not fretting over the actual hive itself. And then as you get more experienced, uh, you can jump into a different hive. When I go to conferences and speak and uh, bee clubs, I find people that are constantly coming up to me with their cell phone. Like, David, look at this. This is, I'm starting bees in the spring. This is my property, like a Google map view of my property from the air. And I'm thinking about putting my bees here. They would be behind the barn. They would be in front of the car. They give me all these scenarios and they ask me, where's the best place to put my hives? You know what? I think we fret too much over that. I really do. If you go out in, into the woods and walk around and see some natural hives and trees out there, you'll find they're facing different directions and different heights. It's just wherever a hole is in a hollow tree, right? So I wouldn't really spend too much time being too obsessed with this. Now, we do say that if the hives today are in the shade, there's a greater chance of small hive beetle being a little more of a problem. Beetles like to, don't like to be in the direct sun. So we try to encourage people to put bees out in the open sun. A little afternoon shade is good. Now, sometimes in the old days, we used to say if the bees at the hive is facing the east or southeast, they get more sunlight earlier in the day. And that gets them flying and working a little sooner. And uh, I found that to be true. When I put bees on the uh, west side of a building, they do get moving a lot slower. Beekeepers really need to be conscientious about safety and how their bees may affect other people. We need to be responsible. I think it's just a matter of uh, making sure that you put your bees in your yard or your property, maybe farthest away from your neighbors. 
It's not that they're going to fly out of their hive and go to your neighbors, but it might be that your neighbors might see them and they might be concerned about them. So you kind of want to make them uh, not all that noticeable to people that don't understand beekeeping. But usually bees fly out of a hive and they'll fly two or three miles away to get nectar. So they're not really going to go over to your neighbor's clover, uh, but they might. But when I was a kid, I, I mean, I, did, I lived in a big city. There were bees all over my backyard, and I don't think anybody had hives near me. Bees are just out there anyway. New beginners really do want to, you know, give everything they can to their bees because they love their bees, and that's great. Keep in mind, though, that your bees really want to go to the, the largest, most sweetest source of nectar around them. So if you plant four or five plants that have 10 flowers on them, and yet two miles away, there's a huge field of alfalfa or clover, your bees are going to just fly right over the top of your flowers. So don't think that your flowers are going to save your bees or give all the nectar that they need. It's nice that you're thinking that way. I totally get it. I think I even thought that way. But now, you know, I realize that bees are going to go out, send scout bees out, and they're going to find the nectar that they need no matter what you plant. Oh, you know, we, we wrestle with that on our property sometimes as well. And the easiest way to solve that is you just need to provide a water source for your bees, like a bird bath with some rocks in it or some sticks. Bees don't make very good swimmers, so uh, they'll go to that. But one time we had a wedding here. Somebody wanted to get married at a bee farm. And it's in October, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, everyone's going to be wearing flowers, and there isn't any nectar flowers, any sources, resources for my bees in October, and what am I going to do, right? I just put out some sugar water at the uh, edge of our field a few uh, days before the wedding. And my bees were able to go out there and find it, and they that was where they wanted to go. So when the wedding party showed up with flowers on, bees never were attracted to those flowers. So there's really easy ways to mitigate, um, you know, keeping bees out of your neighbor's pool or something like that just by providing your own water source at home. That's a neat thing about beekeeping. It's a little different. You know, bees are in the animal kingdom, but they're different than, let's say, dogs or cats. So if you have a dog or a cat and you want to go on vacation, you know, we do that. Sherry and I are uh, always, when we used to have animals, uh, we would be like, oh, we got to get somebody to watch the dog. Who's going to feed the dog, right? We had one dog that when we left, we had somebody to take care of it, water it, and feed it. But it was so, it missed us so badly. It was an outdoor dog. But it would just not eat. It wouldn't eat or drink, and it would just it would just stay under the porch until we got home. It looked terrible when we got back. Bees aren't like that, thankfully. Bees don't care that you are gone for a while, so they'll be fine without you. You don't have to worry about it. When I first started beekeeping, um, I really struggle with winter survival. You know, we have statistics that say be about 40 to 50% of bees die in the winter. And a lot of that has to do with just beekeepers don't understand how to get their bees through the winter. 
And once I learned the techniques and I even actually created some uh, food for bees in the wintertime, my winter bee kinds, and some techniques that I've really mastered and shared with YouTube, uh, on YouTube, is that uh, winter survival can be really dealt with if you, if you have the proper management, you know how to take care of your bees. Going into winter, that's critical. So yeah, you can deal with winter. Now in beekeeping, this is like very interesting because there are those who feel that they don't want to use any treatments or chemicals in their hive. You know, we have honey in there, right? I get it. None of us want to put uh, chemicals in our hive. None of us want to take medication if we can avoid it, right? Um, I think that uh, sometimes people feel that it's wrong to treat your bees. And so it's more of going to be a philosophical, uh, maybe an opinion, how you hold uh, your views about this. So certainly there are statistics, there are studies, there are people that are keeping bees without any treatments and they're doing pretty darn good. But on the other hand, there are times when um, you try the natural ways of keeping bees. We call this integrated pest management. We try all the natural, more mechanized ways of keeping pests and diseases down um, and then if that doesn't work, we have to go to more uh, of a treatment type to attack, attack the pest especially. So it's going to be up to you individually as to what you want to do. If you keep bees naturally and you're okay with losing more bees than normal because of your natural approach, but that's the way you rather go, that's your philosophy, right? But if you're uh, a larger beekeeper and you can't afford to lose any bees, then that's when you may have to say, I've tried the natural ways of dealing with these um, different types of pests and pathogens and it's not working. What uh, kind of treatments are safe to use and how can I do it um, in such a way where it doesn't affect my honey? So you can take both ways and it's just going to be a matter of your personal preference. A lot of people get into beekeeping because they want to pollinate, uh, help pollinate their gardens and orchards that they planted on their new farm. But other people get into beekeeping because they want the honey. They really want maybe to sell honey, maybe a sidelining business. So in beekeeping, you've got to realize the first year you have to expect not to have a bumper crop of honey. Now you can, I'm not saying you can't. I've had customers tell me that they've had just 200 pounds of honey their first year, and that's a lot. But uh, most of the time, bees are working to bring in the nectar, and they, they consume it to make the wax to build the comb. So while they're not able to store as much nectar the first year, uh, beekeepers need to realize that and realize they're putting it into comb building, building out the frames. However, the honey stores uh, are easier for the bees the second year because all the comb is built out. So I wouldn't get overly uh, excited about a bumper crop that first year. If it happens, it happens. But kind of think about honey being something you would really enjoy seeing a lot more of the second year. For me, I'm passionate about helping beekeepers. You know, this is why I spend so much time editing, editing videos, making, I've been on YouTube since 2008, almost 16 years now, making beekeeping videos for people. And I have a heart for that. I have made online courses for people to watch and prepare and, and have answers to their questions. 
I also have a live stream every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Uh, Central Time. So every Thursday night, you can log on to the live stream, talk to me personally, like through the chat and ask your questions and I'll answer them for you. And But there's other ways as well. You can contact your uh, a local bee club. You might find a mentor there. You can contact Department of Natural Resources or Department of Ag. And you can find uh, answers like maybe a bee inspector in your state and that can help you through your, through your um, questions that you might have. So there are a lot of resources a day that are available to beekeepers. I've made uh, over, I think over 700 videos now on beekeeping on YouTube. And a lot of those videos are specific to one thing, which may not benefit a brand new beekeeper because it may be something that they may never use until their second or third year. But I have made a lot of videos for new beginners, but one video in particular kind of covers everything. So it's like the, it's like the equipment and all the things that you need to be thinking about. And it's called How to Start Beekeeping. And it has so many views. Now I made it several years ago, but hey, how to start is still the same, right? That never changes. And here it is over right here. And uh, take a look. I think it'll help you a lot.